welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. So, it's Friday night, and I am right up against that wire, the trip wire, if you will, of trying to decide what I'm going to talk about this week. It's been such a busy week that I've had a hard time focusing. I promise myself that even if I end up doing a very short episode, I must do this every week. Not out of a sense of obligation, although in a way I have become to a point that I sense an obligation. I've been doing it for a year. There are some who seem to enjoy it, and I am very glad of that. And I sense that it's an important thing for me to do consistently for reasons that are not entirely clear. Maybe they're spiritual reasons, maybe they're practical reasons. It doesn't really matter. It just feels necessary. But sometimes it's harder than on other weeks, and this week has been somewhat difficult. So what am I going to talk about? A friend of mine who does listen assiduously to the program, for which I am enormously grateful, and she is so kind and wonderful anyway, and has been a guest on the program, was talking to me about the Bible and focusing in a way in some program on it, which is an enormous project really, but but I, I got what she was talking about, I think, which is that even though obviously the Bible is a central part of the Catholic faith, and even though we have readings and the gospel from the Old and the New Testament, there is a tendency on the part of Catholics that some people say was a result of Catholic catechesis back in the day, and others say is just a mistaken idea of Catholics, that we don't really focus on the Bible. The Protestants, of course, focus on, well, they say sola scriptura in many, many sects of Protestantism. We in the Catholic Church look at the tradition, the Bible, the magisterium to guide us, and we have lots of writings as correlations to, augments to the Bible, to help explain the Bible, to talk about the nature of the teaching of the Catholic Church and the seven sacraments and how they relate in the New Testament to the stories of the Bible. But I think we're so used to the existence of the Bible, we don't really pay attention to it. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> I haven't quite sorted out how I would approach it. And I myself have not really read the Bible straight through from Genesis to Apocalypse uh, in my in my life. I've read pieces of it. So I think that I probably should make that effort first. I've threatened to make the effort. I've begun the effort, but have never actually completed the effort. So who knows? That may be a program that I do down the road. But I think that what I want to talk about, because it's been a week, and because during the week I actually watched a binge-watched an entire HBO Max series called Mayor of Easttown, which I found fascinating but depressed the heck out of me, I had the idea to look at an episode or several episodes of the life of the apostles and Christ in the life of the apostles and talk about which one that I would like to have been present for. Pick number one 
maybe number two and number three. We'll just stick with number one. I'm not sure where I'm going to go on this. Why does Mayor of Easttown somehow push me to this topic, if you will? It's not a topic I hadn't thought about before. I wrote a note about it some time ago, which I rediscovered this week. A scribble about what I should talk about during these podcasts. I think I had one that I did do, the Luminous Mystery Debate, between the traditional Catholics and the Novus Ordo Catholics. Um, I thought about one called, Do You Believe in Sin? Or, excuse me, Do You Believe You Sin? Meaning, Do I Believe I Sin? And one about my own family, about my father, about 17 years, no, it's not 17 years, it's 13 years since his death, how I see my father now in retrospect as opposed to when he was alive and and how that affects my faith. So this idea of which event of Christ's life or post-resurrection or whatever would you like to have been present for uh, came to me again because I had been watching this Mayor of Easttown, which is a mystery, but it's also something of a psychological drama about a small-town police officer in Pennsylvania somewhere who has lost her son to suicide and is attempting to solve what might be serial killings in her small town. I noticed that there were some debates on Facebook related to whether or not Kate Winslet, who is English, did a proper accent of the area in Pennsylvania where this story takes place, and also in terms of the dynamics of the relationships among the characters. What occurred to me, and it's happening in many, many shows these days, is the absolute sense of devastation of what is considered real life in our society and what may well be real life in our society. These folks in this particular show are actually Catholic. It's about as gloomy a Catholicism as I have ever seen. And while in a way you could say that the main character played by Kate Winslet, Mayor, is doing God's work, she is trying to solve a murder, everything, even ordinary daily life, seems to be, to me, downright ugly. And maybe that's what's happening now. Maybe ordinary life is getting ugly like this. There was literally, almost literally, no one that I liked in this show no person that I could latch on to and say, ah, I understand what they're feeling, even though you would think I would have felt that given the nature of the struggles of all of these people. Now, I suppose that could be about me rather than the writing of the show. The acting of the show was terrific. The one character I liked was a small character. It was the police chief who basically kind of has compassion towards mayor and some of the things she does which are plain wrong. I think what I felt in in my gut was that these people were living a hell on earth. Was it because of circumstance or choice? I don't know, but it just plain added to any depression that I already had. And of course I couldn't pull myself away from it. I needed to know what the denouement was going to be. Who did the killing? all of the killings or one of the killings or was it you know the same person whatever it was it was interesting from that point of view also this week i've been dealing with a person uh, he or she 
who thinks he or she is doing his or her job, but in fact, in my point of view, is actually being cruel. Not a big thing, not in the scheme of things, but it just sort of adds to my sense of distress after watching this show. That in real life also, so maybe the show was about real life and maybe that's what's so unpleasant about it, that it's so real that it makes you want to scream. But that in dealing with this person, not in any great enormous way, but just in a bureaucratic way, that um, my sense is that there is a lack of compassion where compassion should exist, where compassion means suffering with. But what I'm sensing is a power struggle that I have no desire to engage in, but I find myself forced into. Well, enough of that. So I needed something uplifting. And what could be more uplifting than picturing some of the events of Christ's life? Not necessarily the crucifixion, although of course the crucifixion is the crux of things, as is the resurrection, but more talking about the resurrection side of things, the giving back of life, the restoration of the life of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of our souls, the restoration of a relationship that was doomed because of our own sins. So what particular moment would I like to go back to in the life and the resurrected life of Christ? The Last Supper was one that occurred to me, which is, of course, just prior to his ignominious death in his human nature, the killing of God by human beings. By the way, I digress here. One of the things I decided to do, well, she hopes, is to complete what I have begun in the reading of the Catechism of the Council of Trent, which I admit was something I became aware of through one of the more traditionalist Catholics who's on YouTube. And I have to tell you, I'm loving it. But then I'm only on page 63 of a 600-page book. And one of the things that this catechism does is a very profound and, I don't want to say simple because it's not simple, it's a mystery, it's beyond our understanding at lots of levels, of the, the two natures of Christ in the second person of the Trinity. I'm finding it more approachable than the Catechism of the Catholic Church that we currently have available to us. And it's not that anything is different in the sense of the basics of the faith. It's just that there's something more lyrical, poetic about how the Council of Trent expresses things. And to me, in a way, more straightforward. But I digress again. So. Let's talk about events that stories of the Bible, of the New Testament, of the risen Christ, the pre-crucifixion Christ that I might have liked to have been at. So I was going to say first, the Last Supper. There's nothing quite so intimate as a meal among friends and relatives. And so you have our Lord with the Twelve Apostles at this Passover meal spiritual, convivial, deadly serious, because our Lord is telling them that this bread is, when they eat it, his body. 
he is instituting the Eucharist at that moment, they don't realize it. Would I have realized it had I been there? I don't think so. Would I, if I could go back to that time, be able to see it in light of the knowledge that I now have over 2,000 years of history? And could I savor it in a way that the men there could not? Which, by the way, raises the other question when I say the men there could not, in that the likelihood of women having been present at that supper is not very large. I was reading in my internet searching about this very subject that had women been present, it probably would have been recorded just like certain other moments where women did something that was out of the ordinary in that culture was recorded like the woman who touched his cloak in order to prevent her hemorrhaging. So I guess if I were present at the Last Supper, uh, somebody would notice and might object to my presence. I'm sorry to say that they were not woke in them their days. This actually may be a problem in several of the sites or sightings of our Lord, but let's pretend for a second that it's not a problem. And I could be there it would be marvelous, but there's something about the post-resurrection or the just-after-resurrection Jesus that really excites me to have been, if possible, present for. So one would be to be with Mary Magdalene when she discovers our Lord has risen. That's the very first sighting. Can you imagine... You go to anoint the body, you're, you're devastated, and you get there and the stone is rolled back. There is no way that anybody could have stolen the body. Now, people have often said that, that the body was stolen, but there were guards around the tomb, so that simply couldn't happen. And even if they fell asleep, somebody would have noticed or waked up because of the noise of someone trying to roll back a heavy stone. Mary doesn't realize that, and why should she? It's a miracle if it happened. So one would look for human explanations for what has happened, and there's Mary saying to the angels that she sees, well, what happened to my Lord? Who took him away? And then she sees a man, this, it sounds like ethereal, man, this otherworldly like man that she presumes, again, being of human mind, she presumes to be the gardener. She's distraught. She's crying. And I'm thinking that even though I know over here that the story ends that this is Jesus, in a way, it's still a surprise because I'm now living it with Mary Magdalene. I'm there with her. And even I, a person of faith feels the sense of impossibility. And I'm weeping too, because what if this isn't him? And he asks her why she is weeping. And she's still trying to figure out who took him away. And then he says, Mary, I don't know what tone he said it in. I'm guessing he said it in this warm and really welcoming tone, almost with a glint in his eye that she didn't recognize him. And I'm watching this, and I'm seeing this. And he says, Mary, Mary. And she realizes that it's him. And I 
No, it is him too. He is indeed the god of surprises. Now this is a big surprise. It shouldn't be. He's been preparing us for it. He's been preparing humanity for his coming all through the Old Testament to now, to this moment, but only now do we get it. Do I get it when I see him standing there? Does she get it when she's standing there in front of him? And she does what anyone would do in such a moment of absolute unmitigated happiness. She goes to hug him. And even I, a person who does not like to hug very much, I think I would surely go and rush up to try to hug him at that moment. Truly, there can be no doubt. He is God. I saw him die, and he is no longer dead. But of course, he would tell both of us, as he told Mary, not to touch him because he had not yet ascended to the Father. I'm not sure, would this be considered a transfigured state? Perhaps so. But in any case, there he is. He is risen. He is truly risen. It's hard when you're in Jerusalem, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, to imagine what it must have looked like in that spot at that time when everything was, in fact, hewn rock and garden and things of that nature, dust and stone. When you're there, you're in a building. And then you're in a smaller building that houses the actual grave of our Lord. So it's hard to imagine this incredible story. But there's another one that is just about as powerful in many ways that I could imagine when I was there, when I was in Israel. And that is the road to Emmaus. If you look at the picture that's on this podcast that announces this podcast. It's one that was taken in the evening, probably between five and seven, at a church, an outside church at Emmaus. So I was there. Now, again, we're talking about city around you, and it probably, walking would have been a lot longer, clearly, because the men were walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And of course, when I went there, we took a bus. A tour bus drove us into where the church was, but it was more natural an area with this church building, this outside church building, which was probably built many, many years later, but still it had the feel of the ancient time. And in that little church, we had mass celebrated for us. So there was a bit of a parallel to that time, that moment. And what was that moment when these two men are discouraged. They are walking away from Jerusalem because all seems lost. And this man joins them and starts asking them about what's going on, what's bothering them. And, you know, they're going, well, have you not heard? This is big news that this man clearly has not heard. And they are telling him about the story of this death of this Christ. And it's only when they sit down to the supper, again, the mass, essentially, essentially the mass, and the man breaks the bread, and they realize who they have there, the risen Christ. In fact, he again, he is risen. He is truly risen. And I guess there's a third that I would love to have been there for, that I could 
see my the scales would fall from my eyes perhaps permanently because the scales keep coming back in my modern life i fail to see our lord all the time and maybe if i went back to these times maybe that wouldn't happen anymore because i would know i would see what they saw in a way that they saw it that could give me no doubt as to the reality of he whom I follow, but I'd need something more. And I really would want to go back to this too. And again, when I was in Israel, it was not the most promising environment in terms of visualizing what happened. And this is after the resurrection and after the ascension and all of them, even though they know that Christ is risen, they're still scared to death because they could be killed for daring to preach the good news of the risen Christ. Now here's one I could be at probably without being noticed because there was, as I understand it, a crowd in the upper room. It wasn't just the apostles. Mary was there, Mother Mary was there. And all of these people just terrified, terrified of being Christians, willing perhaps many of them to walk away from it because it seemed that it was just too dangerous to tell the truth to live the good news, to preach the good news. And then this thunderous, this, these, these tongues of fire that come down upon all of us, all of us, and give us the kind of strength that we could never have without God's input, without his infusion. It's not enough to know that he is God. He has to infuse us because we're human and we're weak and we're afraid without him. Oh, we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit all the time, but I don't think we realize it as dramatically as in that moment. Hence, again, this is something that I think one never knows that if you actually are there, if you actually saw it, how could you ever doubt that it happened? And it's just so energizing, even just to talk about it. Who would I be now if I saw these things? If I could go back and be part of those things, would I be what I am now? Somewhat fearful, somewhat unfaithful, somewhat doubtful? Or would I develop a zeal like the zeal that the apostles and the other disciples developed? I'd like to think that I'd be on fire with the Holy Spirit. But shouldn't I be now on fire for the Holy Spirit? Because after all, Every time I go to Mass, I receive an infusion of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But somehow, the scales are still on my eyes. I need the oomph that maybe a visit back in time would provide. What about you? Which moment in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ would give you that kind of oomph to be the kind of Catholic on fire for God? And for me... More importantly, finally, without the fear that gets in the way of everything in this world. Well, okay, there you are. I found my subject. Isn't that wonderful? I'm happy about it because I always worry. Every week I worry that I'm not going to have anything to talk about. But that seems unlikely given the fact I like to talk. <laughs> So, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you're thinking about what moment in time in the past 
where our Lord existed, walking among us in his human nature, and see how you feel about each of those moments. Maybe it's one, maybe it's like me, several, that sort of seem to have a common theme, but it's worth thinking about it. Maybe it gives us some strength to live as the Catholics were supposed to be, ones that are not hiding in the darkness, afraid to speak our truth, the truth. <laughs>